Welcome back to the Our View podcast. On today's show, I welcome my guest, Chris Slavin. Join us as we discuss her service dog, Earl, her two spinal cord injuries, and the difference between service dogs and emotional support animals. And we are recording. So th- thank you again for um, for such a, a quick response to uh, my message I sent you over the weekend. I sent you a message on uh, Saturday and, and you sent it back right away. And even though with the time difference of me being in New Jersey and you're in Ireland, I, I won't take up too much of your time. I know there's a, a slight time difference here, but... Uh, <laughs> So oh, fine. I'm good. My knowledge uh, doesn't doesn't get home for a while, so we're good. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I can start off if you want. Yes. Okay. Um, one second again. Earl Jump, coming up, please. Um, so my name is Chris Slavin, um, and I'm from uh, Danvers, Massachusetts, and I spend about half my time in Ireland. Um, and I'm a service dog handler. I have my own service dog named Earl. Um, and I've had Earl now for about four years. Um, and I have a, um, I guess my, my disability history is a little, a little unique maybe. Um, I was born with a skeletal dysplasia. Um, it was a gen- just a genetic disorder that um, affected the way that my bones were formed. Um, and it didn't bother me too much as a child. I had some medical issues from it, and I was kind of in the hospital with kind of eye and kidney issues and some other some some orthopedic issues. Um, but I was always an athlete, and I was a competitive adaptive snowboarder. And in 2007, I had a spinal cord injury, um, and so that, that was a T7 incomplete injury. And then from there, I became a wheelchair user. Um, and so then um, I started pursuing um, para skiing. So I'm a mo- I was a monoskier. I was training for the 2014 um, Paralympics. And then I actually was competing um, on the seven year anniversary of my first spinal cord injury. And I had a second spinal cord injury, which was a C6, C7 incomplete spinal cord injury, um, wow. which, um, resulted in me retiring from ski racing so wow so you said yeah. it was on the seventh anniversary of your first injury it was oh wow yeah yeah wow. my and, and, and the irony of it I think is that my first injury was um my first injury was um was competing at snowboard nationals through USASA and then mm-hmm. my second injury was um at um, at U.S. Paralympic Nationals as a mono skier, so yep, wow. seven year anniversary. <laughs> oh wow, that's yeah, the irony of like you said. Oh my goodness, that's um, <laughs> so so you um, so you were a wheelchair user uh, before you um, got or uh, Earl the service dog, right? Correct. Uh, I was I was a wheelchair user for um probably about eight years prior to getting Earl. 
Um, mm -hmm. But my injury, I was incomplete. Um, so I had a T7 incomplete injury and I was traveling, traveling a lot for ski racing. Um, I was training, um, I lived half time in Aspen, Colorado, half time outside of Boston. And the lifestyle really wasn't conducive to having a service dog. And my knees were not um, maybe as significant at that time to have a service dog. It actually probably would have taken away some of my freedom um, having to be responsible for a service dog while trying to train. Um, and it wasn't until my second injury um, where um, initially after my injury for probably about three years, I had a very significant number of surgeries. Um, I had lost a lot of my um, tricep function and my hand function. I was in a great deal of pain kind of all the time. Um, I'd gotten very, very weak. And it was at that point that I realized when I couldn't even, I couldn't even get like um, propel my wheelchair up a curb cut. Um, I just didn't have that strength. Um, and I had lost a great deal of my independence. Um, I knew at that point that I wasn't going to be going back to ski racing that my life was, I thought, I thought that my life was going to be really more, um, you know, based in my home community. Um, mm -hmm. And so at that point, I decided to apply for a service dog, um, okay. kind of to help me with my basic, you know, the basic things I needed, you know, day to day. So. Mm -hmm. um, how, how long is the process of from when you applied to get a service dog to when you actually received Earl? So it really varies. Um, there's a couple of routes that one can go. Um, and there's a lot of organizations that are out there that will, that train service dogs and place service dogs. Some you pay for, some there are no fees for, um, some have really long waiting lists. Those tend to be the organizations that have no fee attached. Um, and then there is some that have shorter, um, shorter, uh, kind of waiting lists so I applied I think from the time I applied um to the time Earl uh, Earl and I actually went to school was maybe probably a year and a half which okay. is actually very short mm -hmm. um I think actually I think it was actually from the time that I was I applied to the time that I was notified was was 15 months. I excuse me. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was about 15 months, I think. So, yeah, I um just over the weekend uh, I was watching on Netflix they have a new documentary called Pick of the Litter. Yeah. Where yeah, I just watched that and just to see the training that they go through uh from when they're, you know, very small puppies and um, you know, the people that they are um, partnered with uh, for training, and then they have to pass certain, uh, one of the tests was like a walking test, like out in the street without a curb, uh, without a sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, the way they have to guide the person around, uh, these were uh, seeing eye dogs, and the way they had to guide the person around cars and other obstacles that might be in the street. Uh, you know, so it was really interesting to see that whole year, that, that was a year long process of, of training that these uh, seeing eye dogs had to go through to, uh, in order to pass. Yeah. And some of them didn't pass and some of them went to breeding and some of them, uh, they called it career change, career changes. <laughs> so for those yeah. that didn't yeah. pass the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the test. So that was, uh, I, I love that one. <laughs> Earl's, um, so Earl's organization, um, or the school that Earl came from, what he does, um, or, you know, the way that they do it is um, 
their puppies are actually raised in prison. So the puppies are born um, and then they spend about 12 weeks um, in the puppy center, um, and, you know, with their mother, um, you know, then they're weaned and then they spend time together and they get the very early introduction to, um, to kind of like sounds and smells and textures of the world. And that kind of helps to lay the foundation for a really good service dog in, in the future. And then when they're about 12 weeks old, um, they actually head off to one of nine prisons in um, Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And they're kept um, each, they're assigned to an inmate and that inmate um, will have that dog from the time that they, um, that they're 12 weeks old until the time that they are, are placed back at the school for their very final training. So that might be up to 18 months. Um, and so, yeah, so Monday through Friday, the dogs live um, in prison and they are um, really well-loved and very, very well-trained. And then on the weekends, on Fridays, they have a weekend puppy raiser that will come and pick them up on Friday mm. and then they will keep them for the weekend. And that's where they learned, like, that's where they learn their um, public access skills. So things like, you know, you're not going to find an, es uh, an elevator or necessarily or a um, you know, you know, you know, they go to the museums or they learn how to ride the train um, oh, or the buses and those kind of things and living in a very home, home-like environment. So mm -hmm. um, it creates some really, I mean, I think it creates really fabulous dogs and um, the dogs are really confident. And um, so, you know, they have a great bond. They're with their, they're with their inmate handler 24 hours a day. So wherever that inmate goes, the dog goes. So if the inmate goes to a parole hearing or if the inmate goes to court or the inmate goes to the infirmary, that dog is with the inmate 100% of the time, so. Wow, yeah, yeah I, in, reading, uh, in reading more of your story with Earl, I saw that he was uh, raised in a, a prison in Rhode Island, correct? <laughs> he was, he was in, he was in Cranston, Rhode Island at, the, at JJ Moran, um, JJ Moran prison. Yeah. Yeah. Rhode Island is one of my favorite places um, to visit. I, I love it there. I uh, haven't been in a few years. And of course, I was hoping to get there this summer and then uh, our pandemic happened. So <laughs> putting it on hold until yeah, uh, next year yeah. or so. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, growing up, it I, I guess it just seemed so far away. And then from New Jersey, it's only like a five hour car ride, maybe. Um, yeah, <laughs> to get there, and then once I figured that out, I was like, "Oh, I'm going there all the time. It has the best, you know, the best seafood, and and just it's just a, a beautiful place to visit." And uh, actually, went to Boston once when I went there uh, to Rhode Island to visit one of my friends. We went to a uh, Red Sox game once. Um, I do, I do enjoy a good Red Sox game. They're they're yes. the most expensive tickets in the in 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 the in in the Major in League Baseball. Baseball. Yeah, <laughs> we have the smallest, uh, we have the, the smallest and the oldest, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Fenway Park is, yeah, thank you for me, field, <laughs> thank you, that's what I'm looking for, we have the smallest and the oldest fields, so they have to jack the prices up a little bit higher to make enough, well, I mean, you know, we won't get the politics of that, but like to make enough money, so <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't go to a ball game very often, I think my last ball game was a couple of years ago, I actually brought Earl, um, and they have, they have some pretty good uh, adaptive seating, so hand, handicapped accessible seating. So if you get they a chance to go again. Yeah. Yes, they do have very accessible seating. And the employees that work there, were I found them to be very helpful with assisting me um, 
I use uh, crutches and, and uh, I wear braces, but I do use my wheelchair when I'm out traveling most of the mm -hmm. time. Um, and they were very, um, very accommodating, very knowledgeable of, you know, where to go and what to do. And, and here's where the restrooms are and things like that. So I did find that uh, very That's helpful. It's funny that you should say that because I had, um, I've only been to one, one game, I think, since I've been a wheelchair user. One game, yeah, I think it was one game at Fenway since I was a wheelchair user. Um, and I was really impressed by how knowledgeable and accommodating their staff, their staff were. So basically, like, once you're in the stadium, you're not supposed to leave. But I have a service dog. And it was a really, really super hot day. And, um, and it's, I mean, baseball is a long game. Um, right. <laughs> and so, yeah, they were great. Like they let us, you know, I just went to, you know, to, to out on the, you know, I need to leave to, so he could go to the bathroom and I just asked and like the, the gentleman was like, oh yeah, of course. Like, you know, that's, that's fine. And I went out and he did what he needed to do. And I came back in and they just escorted me through the crowds back up to my seat and no, I, it's, it's, it's nice. It's nice when that one things like that happen, you know? Yes. So. Because they don't always happen that way that right. easily. <laughs> getting, getting to Fenway is a great big pain in the butt. And then like <laughs> getting from parking, like onto like the sidewalks that you can't get onto or that are too narrow because they filled with, you know, um, you know, like sidewalk furniture. And and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's a pain. Um, you know, but it was nice that once I got into the stadium, people were <laughs> really accommodating. So. Yes, and, 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 you know, and like I said, I, I always pay attention to those kinds of things because they don't always happen uh, as smoothly. Yeah. Some people don't know, you know where to find things and where to send you, and, and so when it does work well, yeah, I always like to, uh, circle, you know, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when yeah. it does work well, I, I always like to acknowledge it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I was really, I was really impressed with Fenway. If I, if they could do something about their ticket prices, I'd be even happier. Um, but, you know, we're just talking about like the, you know, negotiating these difficult, um, like situations and, you know, as, as wheelchair users, I also use forearm crutches, um, you know, mm -hmm. primarily actually when I'm in my, when I'm in Ireland, I actually use them more often than when I'm at home. Um, because things are much, um, it's much older country here, much smaller country, um, much more difficult to negotiate as a wheelchair user. And so I find that I'm, I'm, I'm almost, if I want to be able to live my life effectively, I almost have to be on my forearm crutches more, um, which, which um, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, it's a little bit of a trade-off. I get, you know, I get a lot of fatigue. I can't, I'm not as independent on my, my forearm crutches as I am yes. in my wheelchair. Um, like I can't grocery shop. Right. With my forearm you crutches. You can't carry anything and yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I can't, I mean, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, do I want to reach things today? Or do I actually want to be able to get them out of the store? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like it's, it's, um, you know, what I found with, with having a service dog, is you know people understand that having a service dog you know your service dog is going to perform various tasks for you and it's going to make your life easier so the things that earl does to make my life easier um is i drop things all the time um i've you know i have an incomplete c6 c7 injury so it affects my hands a little bit um and so i've dropped my phone i dropped my keys and he's he will just automatically pick those up and give them to me um so he does most i would say his most common um, tasks that he performs for me is, is, 
picking things up. People always want to know like what he does does for yeah. me. Um, but the things that you don't realize a dog is going to do for you um, are things like um, people are a lot more helpful because you have a dog. Because they may not want to be nice to people, but you've got to be a real jerk if you're not going to be good when you see a dog. Um, and so, you know, there's also kind of a, um, kind of a, a balance between, as a wheelchair user, I sometimes find myself a bit of a spectacle when I go places because yeah. it, you tend to be an anomaly. People, um, I, I don't know, like, I find people either like they see you and then they don't, they're like afraid to like acknowledge you because they are just socially awkward. And mm -hmm. so then they ignore <laughs> you. Um, or then there's the people that are, that are exceptionally over the top, like helpful. And then there's, yes. you know, your average person that's just averagely good. Um, but I find like with Earl, people tend to be nicer. They tend to notice me um, more and be willing to say, I don't need their help as much because I've got my dog, but they, I, I feel like we can have a conversation and open up a conversation a little bit better because we're going to talk, end up talking about dogs instead of like those, why do you have those kind of wheels in your wheelchair? You know, that kind of thing. Right. You tend to have like a more human conversation. Um, yeah. Because of the a, dog opening up that, that yeah, door and, and breaking like that a, barrier. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to like a disabled conversation where people are just kind of like, what happened to you? <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> you yeah. Know, that's so true. <laughs> right. Like some of the, I've had some crazy conversations on buses, like in Aspen, like some of the things people have asked me in public, I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Like really? Um, <laughs> but you know, going like going to Fenway back to on topic. Sorry, I'm Irish. I tell a long story. Um, no. <laughs> they, 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 um, they, there's they, we're, we're like to make a long story long. I mean, to make a short story long. Um, you know, I find that when I'm traveling through cities, um, you know, or traveling um, on public transportation, it's so much easier with Earl because people are you need to take up a little bit of extra space because now you're a wheelchair plus a service dog right. and people you know labrador they do tend to soften people's hearts and um he also kind of break, break kind of breaks trail for me a little bit and then people inform everybody around them that there's a dog like like you know and so um while for some people that's not ideal like people who are um shy or people who really want don't want to be noticed like a service dog probably isn't going to be for you because, right. but you're trading off being a spectacle, right? Because it's kind of, do I want to be a spectacle because I'm a wheelchair user and everybody's staring at me because I'm a wheelchair user? Or do I want people who are going to stare at me or not stare at me, but stare at my dog and mm -hmm. people will come up to you and they will ask you questions, but they're no longer asking like, um, like, can you have sex or like, how do you go to the bathroom? Right. Now they want to know like how old your dog is and you know yeah, what how he long does have you had your dog and what does he do and all that yeah yeah which is much more pleasant on a public bus to <laughs> yes than being like what's wrong with you um so yeah um but that's some kind of some of the the things that you don't expect you're gonna get when you get a service dog.
Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting. It. It's interesting, like you just said, that uh, the dog brings a more human conversation to the <laughs> to the to the room. Yeah, like it just yeah, it does. It really. Yeah. Uh, there's something about dogs that you know it does it softens people and and like you said you you may not a person may not approach you just being a wheelchair user or a person with a disability but if they have the service dog you know it it makes it more um I guess it makes people more comfortable to approach you uh yep you know to ask like you said to ask if you need help or with something like that because I think they you know they see the service dog so they realize that something something must be there, a need must be there, uh, you know, that the dog is, is providing for, yeah. for the person, which is really, really interesting, though. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think another thing that, you know, like, as we're talking, I mean, I do think about this occasionally, but um, as we're talking, I'm actually, it's kind of going through my mind at the moment is, um, you know, I used to do a lot of disability awareness um, speaking in schools, mm-hmm. and so much of that talking or speaking tends to be around like what makes me different than you know a person that isn't in a wheelchair or doesn't have a disability and when i first started doing my speaking like i I found that that was very much like a common theme and then i started talking to schools like administrators prior to coming to speak and saying like really what you really want kids to see is not is, is the commonalities Right. Because that's where human relationships are formed. And I think that that's one thing that kind of having a dog brings is people have an instant visual kind of symbol that, oh, we have something in common. Well, that like, uh, so that reminds people... me that reminds me of my message to you. I the, one of the first thing I mentioned was, you know, I found Earl the service dog, and I grew up with a yellow lab too. <laughs> right. You know, exactly. so it does. Yeah. It, it brings, you know, I, I saw his picture, and I was like, hey, like he looked a lot like my dog when I, you know, when I was younger. So it does. Right. And, and and back to what you said about the awareness, you know, speaking uh, in schools, you know, you you. Wanted to, you want the, the students and everybody to recognize the differences, but to bring it back to, hey, do you like doing this? I like doing this too. And that's, exactly. one, of my, that's one of my icebreakers I use in the classroom, um, you know, depending on what grade. So I speak to a, a specific sixth grade um, in a, a school district every year. So for sixth graders, I say, you know, uh, and it's in October, so it's like right after summer, school's just really, you know, getting back into the swing of things. And I say, you know, how many of you went to an amusement park this summer? How many of you went swimming this summer? And how many of you went to the beach this summer? And they're getting excited and they're, yeah, yeah, and they're raising their hands. And I said, oh, I did all those things too. And they're like, well, wait, you're in a wheelchair. How did you get to, you know, how did you get on a beach or how do you swim? And so, so yeah. then that starts that conversation yeah. of, yeah, my legs don't work that well, but my arms work very well. So I don't swim right. fast. I don't yeah. swim fast, but I swim. You know, I can keep myself above water. So, and yeah. uh, and it, and it brings the conversation into you know the beach. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just really starting to put more um, more of the accessible tiles down on the beaches here in New Jersey, so I can actually get my chair onto onto a beach and not on the boardwalk or on, you know, not stay on the sidewalk and look at the ocean. I can actually get close to it. And even uh, some towns here have big, um, it's like they're, they're made of, of uh, PVC piping and they have yep. huge, huge wheels. So you can mm-hmm. actually get down to the water. 
So, you know, so opening that conversation because, you know, they're in sixth grade now, but they might be, you know, planning to go into some type of engineering or something and, and they may be able to remember that conversation they had with me in sixth grade and create a, a water wheelchair for the beach or something, you know, so it's, it's just, yeah. uh, like you said, bringing that commonality to, hey, you like doing this, I like doing this too. Uh, you know, I have to right. do it differently. Exactly. And, and sometimes it's a little more difficult for me to do it. But, you know, with your brilliant mind, like I said, maybe when you get older, you might want to, uh, you know, create something that makes it easier for people in wheelchairs to swim or wheelchair yeah. users to swim or, or yeah. people with other disabilities to do things. So it's, uh, that's very One important. Of, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I was going to say, it's just very yeah. important to uh, do that. <laughs> Yeah, one of the interesting things that I had, um, you know, in, in September, so I have, I, I run a nonprofit called um, Project Possible, and we bring outdoor adaptive recreation um, to people with disabilities here in Ireland. It's, re it, it's really um, not a common thing here. It's very difficult as a wheelchair user to have access to the outdoors here. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what we do. But I was doing a fundraiser, and I hand cycled 2,000 miles around the perimeter of Ireland in September. And... I stopped at schools along the way and it was so amazing. Like I, um, cycling is really becoming really big in Ireland. And that again, like that commonality was, I found that kids were really interested in like my bike and how I cycled and um, you know, like the kids that do like actually not, not just go on my bikes, but kids that actually cycle. And I'm talking like elementary school kids, like primary school kids who it's, it's just getting really big triathlons as well. And so like, we found ourselves like talking about like bike components and I have mountain bike tires on my wheelchair and like mountain biking and Hey, aren't those Michelin, whatever, you know, like, <laughs> like having these conversations. And so then they start to realize, I think that, um, you know what the possibilities are that like life doesn't stop or not begin because you have a disability and i think that that is hugely important because as is a common phrase and as i use often is um we're all just temporarily able because you know like like you don't know when disability will happen whether that right. be temporary or permanent disability um and i think it's important for people to be out there and to be um to be visible um, and to, you know, um, you know, there was a time when in either the United States is more recently a time in Ireland where um, people with disabilities, because things were so inaccessible, they didn't get out, right. you know, and then you have people saying things like, um, you know, saying things like, uh, oh, well, we don't have any dis disabled people in, um, in, in our village, so we don't need to have curb cuts. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, well, you do, but it's just that people can't get into the center of the village. So, so they stay in. <laughs> so they stay in. Yeah. <laughs> so it's shops for them. Um, right. You know, and just, you know, that kind of thing. So, well, and it, it happens yeah, to me all the time. Really I good. love, I, I love going to concerts and I can't tell you how many times people, you know, first of all, they have the accessible seating at the concerts, or as we mentioned before, the uh, sporting events at baseball stadiums, football yep. stadiums. I am more often than not, I am mostly the only person that uh, is a wheelchair user in these accessible seating sections. Yeah. And the employees that work there, they're, they say things like, oh, it's good to see you out. 
you know, and I, and every now and then, every now and then I, I have a nice reply of, yes, my family lets me out on the third Sunday of every month. Um, (laughs) You know, like, I don't know how to respond to those kinds of things, but it's because, as you said, things weren't always easily accessible. They still aren't completely accessible. So (laughs) a lot of times people just stay in, unfortunately. So it's, uh, it's, it's really, um, really sad sometimes. How do you feel about doing simple everyday tasks and having people think that you're heroic for doing them? Do, do you experience that? Um, like, uh, like kind of like the, the going grocery shopping, like you and insp- like, good for you. Or people who are like, well, I had my knee replaced and you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I do like, get it. <laughs> I get it a lot from people. And I, I, I try I try to understand what they mean, but then at the same time, yeah. it's like, well, I have to eat just like you do too, that's so what, I have to go I to the grocery store. Oh, well, you know, like negotiating the lack of public transportation and, and inaccessibility of the sidewalks is far preferable than starving to death in my bedroom. <laughs> right, right. Like I, I have to eat at some point, you know, and and yeah. um, yeah, I do. I it's like I understand what they mean, but at the same time, it's and I think people. It goes back to what we were saying. It's hard to approach people with disabilities sometimes. Yeah. And so people are yeah. just looking for something to say to like break the ice. Yeah. And yeah. they think, you know, they think that's it. And it's like, well, maybe you could have just said hi or, you know, have a good yeah. day or um, something yeah. like that. May yeah. I help you with that? Or, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, it, mean, it I, is, try to, I, I try to approach it kind of, you know, if if they look like they can they can handle humor, we do a little bit of humor. But I think, like you said, you know, people in general, I think, have the best of intentions. Right. Even like really uncomfortable questions that you get on a bus while they're intrusive and inappropriate. <laughs> in general, people are doing the best they can with whatever poor skills that they have at making a connection. Yes. Um, sometimes it's just curiosity that is rude, but at the same time. Um, you know, I try to give the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that the other thing is, um, you know, people people offering help, I feel kind of the same way about, is that sometimes people offer help what is actually more inconvenient for me to accept that help because I have a way of doing things. And um, like holding doors is a big one for me. Like there's, right. I, I actually use uh, like the act of opening the door to propel me through the door. And yes. so then you have people that like open the door and then they stand on the inside. And so then there's yeah. not enough room for me to get through without <laughs> wheeling over their feet. And I have a service dog. Um, right. So they're doing the best they can, but I almost never say no because I feel like um, there's going to be somebody that does need that help. Yeah. And I think that what happens is that um, people will um, like, if you're like, no, I'm good. I mean, I think it's okay to say no, I'm good. But if they're very insistent, like I almost feel like, like I, I know people that are actually kind of rude to people or they're insulted when people ask if they need help. Um, right. And I just feel like, mm, don't want to be mean because then they'll be ashamed and then be embarrassed. And then when somebody really does need help, they'll be afraid to offer it. Yes, exactly. You know? Yeah, I do. I always try if, you know, if I do need help, it happened. Um, I went to the store yesterday, two days ago. Um, all my days are still running together, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I went, <laughs> I went to the store two days ago and I was, um, and we have to wear masks here when we go out. So I, yep. I came out of the store and I had two bags. So I had, um, 
the two bags on my lap and I got out of the store and I was away from the door. So I took my mask off because, um, you know, as unsanitary as it might be, I put the bag in my mouth so I can wheel my wheelchair well, to get Yeah, because otherwise it falls off your lap, of course. Right, because that's what you? I have of to course. do. <laughs> so I was wheeling to my car and a person, uh, there was a person parked before uh, in the spot before I got to my car in another handicapped spot. And, um, you know, she got out of her car and she says, oh my goodness, can I please help you? And I said, no, I said, I, you know, thank you so much. I said, but I'm, I'm good. And, uh, you know, and by that time I already had my door open, had the bags in the car and I was uh, taking my chair apart to put it in my trunk. And she says, oh my goodness. She said, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, you know, I was waiting for my dad to come out and I, I didn't see you until now. And I said, oh no, it, it's fine. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, she said, and if my dad comes out and sees me sitting here while you're doing that, he would be so upset with me. And I said, it's okay, you know, <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, and she said, oh, wow. She said, well, you're already done. I said, yeah. <laughs> my my favorite story um, or my favorite experience with people helping is there was, I was at the grocery store and I was getting my wheelchair out of the car. And this elderly woman that seriously had to be 90 with her walker came up to me. She was in a handicapped parking spot um, next to me. And she said, can I, can I help you like get my wheelchair out and put it together? And I'm like, oh no, like I'm fine. I'm fine. Like I do it all the time, don't worry. And she was like very insistent and wouldn't, like wouldn't stop. And so I did the, I literally did the, like I took my wheel out and I was like, oh, can you just hold this wheel up for me? Like, I had to find mm -hmm. something for her to do because it was just like, it was just like can I wheel, can, can I lean this wheel against your, against your walker? Um, you know? And so, like, so I put my wheelchair together, hop out of my car, I go to go in, and she said, what would you have done if I hadn't come along? And I was thinking to myself, do you think I drive to the grocery store and sit in the handicapped parking spot with my door open until somebody comes and randomly helps me get out of my car? Um, it, was just, it was just so funny, but so like, it was so sweet at the same time. Right, same time. yeah. Like, one of my favorite like helping memories, like, you know, can, yeah. can you, can yeah, I, I, can you, let me just wheel against your walker. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I had an uh, an elderly woman that said that she would um, she would take my basket and put it in her cart, and she would like follow me around so that I could shop uh, freely. And I was like, no, I, I I said I'm I'm pretty much done though. And she, are you sure? She said because I don't mind. You know, it gets me out shopping, gets me out of the house, and I, you know, I have all the time today. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, you know, maybe next time. I said I'll take you up on it next time if I see you here again. <laughs> You know, I think, do you ever look at it as, um, I try to kind of look at, like, I'm a super independent person, and I don't like help, especially help that I don't need, um, hmm. but when I start to flip it in my mind and start to realize that sometimes allowing people to help is actually giving them a gift, and you don't have to do it all the time, but, but sometimes, like, if you feel like you're a little bit forced into it, I think the way that I kind of ease my and lower my blood pressure about it a little bit is just being like, this is a gift for them because they're going to leave and they're going to feel good about themselves and they want to help just like children, like just like small yes. children when you're in the kitchen and you're baking, a, you know, a cake and you know, they're going to make a mess out of it, but they right. really want to help. 
Like you have yeah. to bite the bullet sometimes and be like, yep, you can break the eggs, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I was going to say know, that uh, kids, when, when children ask to help, I usually try to figure out something. And like you said, with the uh, elderly woman in the parking lot, I'm like, yeah, you can hold this wheel. Like it's, you know, it's really... <laughs> You know, that would really help me out a lot until I get the other parts apart because my wheelchair, the wheels snap off and the back folds down and I pop it yeah. in my um, in my hatchback. But uh, it's like, yeah, if you want to hold these two wheels and, you know, it, it does, it really makes them feel a part of something. Um, <laughs> you know, and like you said, giving them a, a gift of, you know, hey, I helped this person and, yeah, you know, so I... I I agree with that for sure. <laughs> I had I had a woman at a grocery store. I, I was trying to get ice cream and it was up high and there was a woman and I said, Oh, excuse me, would you mind, you know, reaching that for me? And she started like literally squealing and kind of like bouncing up and down. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, it's one of those people. Like, and so um, and then all of a sudden she reaches and gives it to me and all of a sudden she stops. Like she's a little stuff and she's like, I'm so sorry. But um, but you don't understand. I'm really excited. It's not. It, it's because um, it's because I'm only four foot eight, and nobody ever asks me to reach anything. Uh. But I'm in a wheelchair, so I didn't realize how short she was because I'm really short. Right. And she was just like, I'm not. Like she's like, I'm excited that somebody has asked me to like, like you know, ask me to reach something. I'm only four foot eight. I'm like, you feel so accomplished. I was just like, well, you're taller than I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's really, um, you know, I, I do, I do find, uh, I understand the frustration of it sometimes when, you know, uh, because like you said, I'm also very independent and I, I live on my own and I, you know, I do a lot of things and I'm also at the same time aware of what I can't do. Um, you know, so sometimes like if I, if I do need help, um, you know, yep. reaching something in the grocery store. It's like, yeah, sure. I, I don't want to fall out of my chair trying to reach it. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Then you're really a spectacle and you're right. really um, yeah. 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 Um, I don't have like, you know, just, just a little bit back to Earl and, and service dog skills is, um, so Earl goes grocery shopping with me and uh, cause he goes everywhere with me. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's a service dog, he had, you know, I have, um, he has rights of public, well, I have rights of public access with a service dog. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I go grocery shopping with him, but I tend not to, I mean, I have him pick him pick stuff off the floor for me if I drop it, but I don't have him, um, I don't have him in general, like get things off the shelf for me. Now there's some okay. service dog owners who do that. And I think it's perfectly fine. I don't because I feel like, like people get, kind of creeped out by it because it's like oh like mm-hmm. a dog has got his paws on the on the shelf right um but like that's actually some some of the things too that service dogs can can do so like while i'm not going to have him climb up the side of the freezer to get me my ice cream i'll ask the woman that's four foot eight to make her day instead right. um, like he can he can um like he can grocery shop with me and um and he can like turn lights on and off for me and he can press elevator buttons for me that I can't reach. Or as we saw early before we started the interview, um, like I'm sitting in my bed because that's my favorite place. Um, mm-hmm. It's more comfortable than my wheelchair. Um, and uh, the, 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 the wind blew my door open and Earl was sitting next to me. Instead of me having to transfer into my chair and go shut the door, I could just ask my dog to go shut the door and he went and he just nudges the door with his with his nose and clasps the door and and um <laughs> you know and that saves me or when I get into bed and I forget to shut off the light 
he can turn the lights on and off for me. So just with command, he's able to do that. So um, wow. he can open the fridge and get something out of the fridge if it's in the same space place at each time. So. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's that's interesting. So, so if it, there's a bottle of water that's in the same spot, he can. Yeah. So his school trains him for um, to put things in the uh, you put things in the bottom left hand corner of your fridge. Okay. So it's great for people that maybe um, they're diabetic and they have their insulin or they may be uh, quadriplegic and spend a lot of their time um, or some of the time at least without a care. Like they can, um, they can have, you know, their snack or their dinner or whatnot that may be in there and they can just ask their dog to go and open the fridge and get out whatever is there that they want maybe it's a pre-made snack that's in a paper bag or whatnot and bring it to them so mm -hmm. yeah wow you um you just touched on something about um you know you having the right to take your service dog into certain areas and that um i think that's another area i want to say of like misconception i guess of mm -hmm. service animals versus like emo emotional support animals yeah. and therapy and companion animals uh yeah. you see a lot of those stories in the news these days i remember um a couple years ago someone was taking an emotional support peacock on an airplane um <laughs> so there was yeah so there was uh you know controversy or questions being asked if um you know, if emotional support animals are the same as service animals, and uh, can you get into that a little bit? Of I can, because I think it's really important. It's something that actually Earl and I do a lot of work around, whether it be policy work or um, or just education work. Um, so service dogs, um, which include dogs like Earl, which is like the, you know, he helps me with my mobility or guide dogs or um, medic, medical alert dogs. They have um, the person so all the all of the privileges if you will all of the rights are attached to the person not to the dog so my dog doesn't have the right to go into a store i have the right to bring my dog into the store okay. uh, my service dog so basically so service dogs have the right uh, public access rights which means they can go into places where other dogs pet dogs would not be allowed to go so those the, that whether that be medical facilities the library to the theater to the grocery store any place um, the public can go, my dog can go. There are some exceptions to that rule. Um, you know, you think of churches and synagogues and mosques as being public places because the public goes there. They are actually exempt. So if I want to go to a friend's wedding at a church um, that's not, um, you know, my own church, I would need to call ahead um, and make sure that that the church would allow him to come in. Um, I've only been denied um, twice. Um, one was on religious grounds where they, they it was a, an actual dog in, issue. And then the other was um, around, um, was around dog fur. And while do having dog fur in your church um, is, you know, it might not be a big deal for them. For me, it was a big deal for them and they are protected mm -hmm. by law. So, you know, I just didn't go. Um, medical, um, you can't go into procedure rooms. So you can't bring your dog into the operating room. Um, 
and you can't bring them onto burn units. And then there's some um, areas where there's infection control that you wouldn't want to bring your dog in anyway. So if somebody had coronavirus, for example, you or, or COVID-19, you wouldn't want to necessarily bring that dog into that area in general because your dog, while he won't catch it, can be a vector potentially. I mean, it's very mm -hmm. low risk, but he could carry that on his fur or whatnot if he was, you know. So, um, so yeah. So, you know, emotional support animals. Um, there's a huge amount of of misunderstanding around them. They do not have public access rights. They cannot go anywhere that a pet cannot that a pet cannot go. So, if a sign set, uh, if a store says like no pets allowed, then an emotional support animal can't go in there. The only mm -hmm. rights um, that you have to have a, a emotional support animal is on um, some form of some forms of transportation, and there are still rules around that, and it's changing rapidly. And I foresee that that's not going to be allowed as freely as it currently is in the near future. And then the other is to have your dog um, or your your pet. It's an emotional support animal is a pet. Um, as opposed to specifically a dog, but um, you know, is to have an emotional support animal in housing that does not normally allow um, pets. So, and even that, there's some caveats to that. So, if you live in a private home, you know, so you might have a duplex, um, you know, or, or this, uh, three apartments or four apartments in a in an apartment um, building, they can still deny you an emotional support animal under. Oh under, wow. Yeah, so there are some restrictions to how many, um, you know, if you're a landlord that lives on property, like there's all kinds of these of rules around that, but there's a lot of abuse. Some of that abuse is deliberate. Um, some of that abuse is based in entitlement. Um, some of that is just a general ignorance of the law. Like, like in my use, I don't even mean that in the inflammatory way of saying ignorance, like in the true unaware, um, mm -hmm. uneducated in the subject um, term of just being ignorant of what ignorant of what the law is um, and service dogs are highly highly trained so Earl was in school you know most of them are two years at minimum um, 18 months to two years um, guide dogs tend to be even longer and emotional support animals don't have any requirement to be trained at all none so Earl has been attacked in public by both fraudulent service dogs, so people who have deliberately um, portrayed their pet dog as a service dog when they weren't, and he has also been bitten in the face by um, a, a person that brought their untrained emotional support animal um, into a hospital, actually. So oh, wow. um, he's, been bitten, he's been bitten twice. Um, He's actually been bitten three times, but one was by a pet, just was out in public. Um, but yeah, he's been bitten twice in places where he should have been safe because those dogs should not have been there because they were untrained. Yeah, he has a little scar across his nose. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well. Oh, yes. But that, um, I, I think, I, I appreciate that, uh, that conversation because it's, you know, like I said, there've been things in the news in the last few years about emotional support animals and people tend to think that, you know, the, the terms are interchangeable service animal and right. emotional support animal and dogs. And, um, you know, when I, I knew there was a difference, but I think, um, 
you know, I appreciate your explanation of it, a uh, very thorough explanation of it to really uh, get a better understanding of what, you know, what the difference is and what is allowed um, under those specific, uh, specific terms and what they actually mean. And, you know, you as a person who has a service, uh, service dog, you know, what you're entitled to and what your dog is able to do along with you because you're allowed in to these places, uh, your sort of your service animal is allowed in them in the places yeah, as well. And I think it's important too to differentiate, like there's some people that, um, you know, that think that because they have a disability, just because they have a disability that their dog is like, their, their dog can have those same um, public access, have the same public access as say a dog that's been trained. And um, that's not like, that's not the case. Um, so, just because you have a disability, it doesn't mean you can bring your dog to the grocery store. Right. Um, so there's that aspect of it. There's also what tasks your train your dog is trained to do. So just because your dog makes you feel better, doesn't mean that you can bring them into the grocery store. It doesn't count. So the Department of Justice is the organization that oversees um, kind of the laws around service dogs and um, guide dogs and emotional support animals. Uh, um, Actually, emotional support animals are covered under um, Department of Transportation, HHA, whatever that stands for, um, not even under ADA. So, um, so they, they kind of, the law was written fairly um, kind of broad, and while that was meant with, to be done um, with the best of intentions, it's created kind of the situation where we're in now, where um, it's not, it leaves a lot open to interpretation. Um, and it also, um, I mean, while it's very concise in some areas, I think businesses are left with kind of the burden of, of policing. And I think that that's kind of where the problem lies that, you know, it's kind of, it works well for some people, but then businesses are left being like, is your dog a service dog? And then trying to determine that. And so a lot of times they just decide they don't want to address it. So then you end up with, you know, little dogs in grocery carts at super walmart that are barking like crazy you know so yeah yes. inviting my dog in the face yes <laughs> right yeah we we all know yeah we all we all have seen yeah. those like you said <laughs> yeah and there's places i don't go because of that so i've decided there are there are places that have made a decision not to not to um enforce those those laws and those regulations so then i just choose um i'm a firm, firm believer in kind of like voting with a dollar so i just don't frequent those places so mm -hmm. yeah um trying to think if there's anything else that i would like to talk about is there anything else you would like to talk about um more of your uh the other work that you do with um uh you know, with bringing project the accessible, yeah, the project possible. Um, I would actually, and, you know, I'd like to talk about really quickly is about is about service dogs and world travel. Yes, and before we get into that, did you say you hand cycled two thousand miles? That I did. I hand cycled <laughs> two thousand miles around the perimeter of Ireland. Um, wow! Uh, last September and October, I did solo wow. hand cycle. I was the first person to ever do it. Um, so I did the perimeter of Ireland. Um, 
it wasn't the hardest cycle that I ever did, ironically, like amazingly, um, it was hard. I did about 50 miles per day over the course of, you know, five and a half weeks. Um, wow. But the actual most difficult cycle I ever did was I hand cycled the Ring of Kerry in Ireland. And I did that in a 14 hour hand cycle. And it was the most I, I do I do do endurance hand cycling, so I do do long distance, 100 mile century rise, that kind of thing. Um, but the Ring of Kerry was probably the most difficult thing I ever did in my life. 14 wow. hours on like incredible grades, and yeah, it was crazy. I was supposed to do it again this year, but <laughs> COVID. Yes. Kind of yes. Stop that, so. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So you um, you mentioned you wanted to talk about uh, service dogs and uh, international travel, you said? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So when I was a ski racer, a, a mono skier, um, I made the choice not to have a service dog because it, just because of training and just the travel that you do and the hours that you keep. And it wasn't um, it wasn't something that made a lot of sense. Um, with service dogs, you need to make a cho like lifestyle choices, and you have to remember that service dogs are kind of like toddlers, and they're a huge <laughs> amount of responsibility. And while they're intelligent toddlers, they're still dogs. Like they're 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 intelligent, but they are they still have to be watched. You can't. While you might be allowed to, for example, go to a uh, you know to a major concert concert in the stadium. Um, like you're legally allowed to bring your service dog into that environment, you have to just, you know, be the guardian of your dog and say, you know what, that's probably really not a good idea for my, idea for my dog. Um, mm -hmm. My dog wouldn't be happy doing that. Um, I'm in Ireland. Um, we go to a lot of pubs um, where, where, you know, you have um, a lot of traditional music. Earl hates the banjo. Like he hates the banjo. Oh. It, I think it just hurts <laughs> his ears. So, like, my partner plays the bagpipes, and Earl doesn't mind that. But um, the banjo, really? and sometimes the yeah, he he doesn't like it, and he doesn't really like the accordion that much either, which is a traditional Irish, you know, used in traditional music. Yeah. So, initially, initially, if I brought him to a pub, he'd be unha he'd be unhappy because he he it was hurt it would hurt his ears. And so then it was like the decision like, do I go to the pub or do I not go to the pub because you know I don't have somebody to watch my dog. Um, mm -hmm. I ended up getting him, him um, ear protection so he can go to the pub now and he's perfectly happy. He likes to see people. Um, but, you know, you have to make those those decisions. So that's right. why I decided initially not to have a service dog because my lifestyle was not conducive to it. Then after my after I had to retire from ski racing and I got Earl, um, I figured that my life was going to be really community based. You know, it was going to be kind of local, mm -hmm. um, you know, just like traveling around New England. I wasn't planning on traveling you know, further afield, um, and certainly not solo traveling, but I got Earl, and it was my 10-year anniversary of my original first injury, and I decided to do a year of adventure, because I had been a really big traveler prior to my injury, so I did decided to do a year of adventure where I was going to be traveling internationally, and I did my first trip with my sister, Meg, um, because she's a really good Sherpa, and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it on my own. And like literally within 24 hours, I realized I didn't really meet Meg. I love her. I like traveling <laughs> with her, but I, she wasn't, she wasn't necessary. And she wasn't necessary because I had my dog. 
and because my dog could pretty much, you know, like I figured out um, um, my luggage. I use actually, uh, this isn't a plug, but I just want to tell people, I was just telling mm-hmm. you, I use Phoenix Instant Luggage, which attaches to the back of my wheelchair, so I'm completely hands-free. So once I got Phoenix Instant, Phoenix Instinct Luggage, uh, wheelchair luggage, and my dog, I was 100% like solo independent. And so I traveled back to Ireland. I traveled to Norway. I traveled to Spain, um, traveled to London. So I was able to kind of like do that. And it was because my dog was there to kind of help. But he also was a confidence booster because while I may not use him necessarily um, for much other than picking things up, that's his main task for me. He, as we spoke of earlier, he makes people nicer to me. Yeah. And he, he allows people to kind of like be more helpful. So when I'm going through the airport, people get out of my way. Um, and he is seated in the airplane with me and he uh, like right at my feet. And he's just gives me the confidence to walk through Spain in areas that might be more questionable as a solo female traveler. Um, for example, my dog is completely harmless. He does not have any prey drive and he doesn't have any aggression. They're bred not to be, mm-hmm. but he's a really big dog. He, um, and so people will make the assumption that he would protect me. I don't know that he ever would protect me, but people <laughs> have that assumption. So that's an okay assumption when you're traveling solo by yourself in places that are, might not be quite as safe as yeah. you know, your own <laughs> Um, but yeah, so he allowed me to kind of get back into travel and, um, kind of opened up the world to me again. So totally unintended consequence again of having a service dog. Yeah. Wow. That's great. (laughs) And I'd like to travel. So I, um, so I I will take your, uh, your plug of the luggage company and (laughs) check them out. (laughs) I I don't want anybody to think that this is, this is, I'm not remunerated for, for saying what I, what I have to say. It is truly like I used to do like, and if you travel, you know, this, this is, you're going to be your life. You have mm-hmm. your wheelchair on the back of your, I mean, your, your backpack on the back of your wheelchair, and then mm-hmm. you have a bag on your lap. Mm-hmm. And then you can't, if you're solo traveling, you can't par- pack a lot because you can't have to be like carry it and be responsible for it because right. I don't, I, I don't tend to rent cars when I travel. I usually just take public transportation because um, mm-hmm. getting hand controls and, dealing with all of that and caring it was it's just a pain so um um so yeah like that's what you used to do and and like you'd ha- you'd be going to the airport and like your bag falls off your lap and then you have all like all these people around thinking that you are like incompetent and like unable to function on your own um and then i don't know if you have this problem i'll speak freely um it's like you have the weight on the back of your chair so you go into the bathroom and if you're going to transfer onto a toilet, that now right. means that you get the weight on your chair. So you're going to take off your backpack and the bag on your lap and put them on the filthy bathroom floor. And right. then have your wheel- or you're going to have your wheelchairs tip over. Right. <laughs> or you're going up wheelchair ramps and, like in the airport and there's too much weight on the back. So like you're trying right. to lean forward to not to tip not over. Tip. Because you have a bag on your lap. Like it's yeah. heinous. It's terrible. So I found a few years ago, this company in the UK called Phoenix Instinct, and they make this amazing luggage that attaches to the back of your wheelchair and wow. um, onto a bar. 
and it's completely self-holding so you don't it doesn't tip your wheelchair and it has like these um. multi-directional wheels so like you can still wheelie on and off curbs and you can spin around and what I love about it is that now when I walk, or I don't walk anywhere, but well, I mean, you know, um, mm-hmm. when I wheel in <laughs> to the airport, people don't look at me like I'm not swarmed by people asking me if I need help. They automatically are like, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. And so like, if I need help, I can ask for help, but people aren't like doing that thing. You know, that thing that people do yes. where they're just like. And, and you're not treated like a child or, you know, you just kind of go in and you feel good. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I can get on and off buses, like without them putting the ramp down. It's the best thing. I've, wow. It is that and my freewheel. Do you have a freewheel? I don't. I, oh my I, gosh, you need a freewheel. I and do. You island. Look, I do. I do need a freewheel. You need a freewheel, man. <laughs> We're going to give a shout out to the freewheel people. <laughs> I've seen them and they are fantastic. <laughs> They're crazy expensive. Like they when you are. Go, when you look at the cost of them, and I did pay for mine. So again, I don't get any benefit from this. I'm just like sharing this with the world. Um, <laughs> I've had, I've had, I had one for like probably 10 or 12 years. Like I had them when they first came out um, and they, it lasted me really well when I was a ski racer. Um, but you look at the price and you're just like, oh my God, like that's a lot of money for like that little freewheel. Changed my life. Like it yeah. made everything accessible to me. So I can go to the, down the beach without too much problem. As long as you can, um, like if you're on a sandy beach, like you have to have some upper body strength in general to wheel on a, on a sandy beach. Right. Um, but that I can wheel, wheel on rock beaches. I can, um, like I can hike in mountains with it. Um, I can hill walk. Like it, it's, it's awesome. So the free wheel <laughs> is truly, I, I had a student, I had a young student. He actually put my free wheel together when he was like nine years old. Cause I couldn't freaking figure out how to do it. Oh, wow. And, um, and this kid, this kid was like, I was, a, I was an elementary school teacher. He was like, I'll do it. And I was like, okay, here are the parts. I don't know what I'm doing, but it takes a little bit of finagling to, to work. <laughs> and he put together, he, and so he, like to this day, he's like graduated from college and he still calls it my wheel of freedom instead of calling my free wheel he's like the free wheel of freedom <laughs> that's funny he's like, yeah. he's like do you have wow. your wheel of freedom i'm like i do <laughs> oh wow that's great yeah. <laughs> um so the the last question i i had um which i like to ask all of my guests um is what do you want the world to know about people who live with disabilities Um, I would say that when people with disabilities are not included in every aspect of life, when opportunities aren't there to even the playing field and provide access, um, to access to jobs, access to healthcare, equal access, that the, the, that what is being lost is human potential and when human potential is lost then um then society loses out and people lose out you know so that individual loses out and and there is value and gifts in everybody and sometimes they're hard to see and whether that's 
hard to see because people are don't have the opportunity to meet other you know meet people with disabilities and you don't know or sometimes they're hard to see because people in general can have personalities that make it harder for you you know disability or not that can make it harder to get to know people or whatnot but i think that that's you know i think that that you know opportunity only increases um the benefits for society like it's it's not about it's good for everybody like what did eleanor roosevelt say when it when it when it gets better for i don't know when it gets better from for everybody it's better for everybody so when everybody mm -hmm. you know you kind of raise everybody up i guess yeah. i don't know there's probably better quotes but you know <laughs> What if one tide raises all boats? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But like, I'm sure we can find something. I'm sure we can, I'll get back. <laughs> I, think, I think you definitely said what is so true. Everyone has gifts. Everyone, you know, every everyone has something to add. Um to you know to things and and i think the more the more that people with disabilities are involved in things i think that's when we can uh start to see even more changes in a lot of things um, yeah you know where we're not um you know and it's, it's it's a lot of little things that couldn't be done and it's just like did they ever consider you know making you know just because the ada says a doorway has to be a certain number of inches wide or a ramp has to be you know at a certain slope did they ever think that you know as you said somebody who's traveling with a backpack on a ramp might you know tip over because it's a little steep yeah, uh, yeah. but it meets you know it meets the ada requirements so it's like you know they don't really uh you know worry about it too much but it's it's just uh or, or like when they make the ramps when they make ramps so that in order to get on them you have to wheel uphill Yes. And then it's like bringing you in the opposite direction, like the doors over here, but the like, it, yeah, like there's no thought kind of to where things go, just that they that they comply. What I think right. is interesting is is in Ireland, they have um, they have uh, standards for accessibility, but they have no actual. I mean, they have regulations around like what like you have to have a ramp, but they don't give like the standards of what that ramp is. So like in America, it's one like one foot for every inch of elevation. Right. In Ireland, they're just like you have to have a ramp. That ramp might be steeper as steep as having a freaking step. Yeah. Like there's no, and then they'll be like, "Well, there's a ramp," you mm -hmm. know, and it's like, "Well, yeah, but it you can't use it because it's at a forty-two percent grade and it's only a foot long." Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Right. <laughs> I think I have one more thing that I think is really important that as I yes. live my life in the disabled world and then live my life around the world that I, I'm really starting to see and believe. And and it comes from a little girl, a little uh, girl here in Ireland. Her name is Molly Marshall. And she's a nine-year-old triathlete with cerebral palsy. She's um, Ireland's youngest triathlete. And she, you know, and she always says, if, you know, if you say like, Molly, why, why are you, why are you a triathlete? And she'll say, because like, maybe somebody will see me and, and they'll know that maybe they can, they can be a triathlete too. 
And mm-hmm. I think there's like, there's a huge strength in representation. And so the more people see people with disabilities out and doing things and um, whether that be grocery shopping, like we spoke of earlier, or whether that be surfing, like it just makes people more aware. So the reason, like the reason why um, I went to a cycling race um, recently in Ireland and I was cycling with the elite riders. So I was starting with the elite riders and they, there was a couple of them that literally looked at me, turned to the guys next to them and said, why is she cycling with us? But not nicely, I need to add. Wow. <laughs> not nicely. Um, because they didn't recognize me as an athlete. They recognized me as a person with a disability with all of the stigma and pre, their own preconceived ideas of what a person with a disability is. And that's mm-hmm. because you don't see a lot of people in in this country out doing sports. There are some, but it's not a commonality like it is in the United States. Right. Um, and it hurt me. Like it, like like most things don't hurt me. I can brush them off. But like somehow, for some reason, I think probably because I was an elite level athlete, I was just like like it was like. And then I was like, what am I doing here? Like why am I here? And then I did my race and. I did it well, and at the end, those same people were were literally cheering me up this crazy, ridiculous hill. And then I saw them during my Ring of Carry cycle, and I, you know, and 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 now they have an understanding that because I'm a wheelchair user, like they can't define me, right. like I define me, and they have to accept my definition of myself. And then that cha- that shifts their, um, that kind of sh- shifts their belief system. And they're going to be more likely in the future to be the people that that say, yeah, when we do this, when we do this race, we do need to make sure that there's an accessible bathroom because we will have athletes that have, that are wheelchair users or they have a disability. And and, and it opens up that, that field for, for the future. It opens it up for Molly so that when Molly is racing, she's not the only disabled person in the country doing triathlons you know right. yeah it is it's that's very important kind of no that's very important matters. for that it does representation does matter for sure it, it's so important to um you know to see people who look like us and people who even don't look like us with other disabilities doing things and yeah like you said not letting society define who we are i think is a big thing mm-hmm. you know I define who I am and you define who you are and we can, you know, we'll do what we want to do. <laughs> and if we can't yeah, do it, we'll let yeah. you know. <laughs> I have um, yeah. really good friends yeah. that, um, you know, it's not sport related, but uh, a few years ago, uh, one of my really good friends, my best friend from uh, high school, she, uh, her daughter invited me to go see um, the Nutcracker uh, show with them uh, locally here in New Jersey. And, they had steps. It was an old theater. I knew that, but I wasn't sure what their step situation looked like because some yeah. steps I can get up and some steps not so much. Um, and the usher at the place, you know, uh, she saw me walking with my crutches and she said, oh, there's no way you can get up those steps. And like before, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. before yeah. I could say something, my friend said something. 
<laughs> you know, and I had, I was, I was like, okay, like it's, it's okay. Like, you know, and she's like, no, it's not okay. Like she doesn't get to tell you what you, what you can't do. Yeah. She said, you can probably get up those steps better than her, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, like I probably could, but like I, today I really don't feel like getting up those small steps. So like, you know, if they yeah. can recede us somewhere, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> you know, but like, let me make that decision, you know, don't, don't right. tell me, you know, as, especially well, as an employee there, you know, don't say, yeah. oh, and she was really just so firm with it. Oh, you can't get up those steps. There's no way you can get up those steps. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that, like I could, but <laughs> I don't feel like <laughs> think, it right now. But I think the, I think the other thing, the other thing that I, 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 um, that as I've lived in my world, um, as a person with a disability, I used to be self-conscious and I'm so not self-conscious anymore because mm -hmm. I realized that if I'm self-conscious, then I lose out. So like, I was in Norway and um and in order to get to the view to to like the 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 this amazing view over Bergen Norway um I had to go down a set of these steps and um and I can I could do that in my chair going backwards but to go up I would have to get out of my chair and go up the chairs on my butt I mean go up the stairs on my butt mm -hmm. and um and I like sat at the top, like at the top of these steps. And I was like, there are people from all over the world and not everybody has the same view on disability as, 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 you know, among around the world. And so I'm like, I'm going to like end up crawling essentially up these, up these steps and everybody is going to be staring at me and they're going to have pity for me. And I hate that. And then I was like, I am not missing out on the opportunity <laughs> to see this based on based on um like what other people that i'm going to make other people uncomfortable right because they're going to feel uncomfortable and they're going to feel pity for me and then i'm like i'm like like screw it like and i no longer take into consideration other people's discomfort when it comes to big things right you know things that are important things that i'll miss out on you know yeah yeah that's so, so true yeah, yeah you really um you know and it, it does it takes time like you know to get through that and to you know oh, okay i just won't do it you know it's no big deal it's okay and then you get yeah. to a point like you said you're like no there's no way in the world i'm <laughs> i'm here now and i'm not gonna miss yeah. this you know <laughs> i'll do whatever <laughs> i have to do to get there <laughs> It was like it was funny because on that same day I lost my so I took the funiculator up, which is kind of like a crazy cog railway train thing. So I take the funiculator up and I lost my ticket and um to get on to go back down. And Norway's oh. an incredibly expensive it's an incredibly expensive country and I travel on a pittance of a budget. And so um so I had climbed down the climbed down the stairs and climbed back up again and then I lost my ticket to get on to the funiculator to go down and the the ticket man says to me well you can't get on you can't get on without a ticket he's like the only other option is to hike down on the path which was a a, a, a five kilometer um hike or a five mile hike down down this wilderness path like on this mountain mm -hmm. and um <laughs> And then he was, he's like, I saw you scramble up the stairs, like, you'll be totally fine. And then he was like, and then he was like, ha, I'm just kidding. Get, you can, you can ride the funiculator without buying another ticket. Um, 
And then I was like, well, I was like, oh, but like, do you think I really can get down the path? I wheelied five miles down the freaking mountain <laughs> path with my dog. He That's was like fantastic. horrified. He was horrified. He was horrified. He was like, no, no, ma'am, you can get out. I'm like, no, like, I'm, I'm taking that path. You don't and threaten me with a good time. Who is this girl? Like, what is she doing? It was the best. It was like one of my best Norway experiences. Because I was just That's like, fair. no, oh, okay, well, I'm doing that. He was like, he was just, I'm sure he was like, I'm going to get fired. Right. <laughs> wow. But see, and that's the kind of thing. It's just like, wow, like, okay, yeah, if I can take it, I'll do it. You know, it's not a problem. It's, yeah. you know, it's an adventure. You're there, you know, for, you know, you're there for the experience of it all. So it's like, why exactly. not do it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you. <laughs> it was so we much fun. We have to fun. eat in Rhode Island. We, we do. We do for sure. Wow. I'm, I'm definitely down for it. Like once everything clears you up, you should just come to. Oh my gosh, you should just come to Ireland. I should. You're right. <laughs> I'm down for it. <laughs> Airfares are really cheap right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for it. <laughs> I've they never been. My they keep they keep can canceling my flight home. It's awesome. I'm like I'm like I I I'm, I may be able to stay here. But we will definitely uh, we will definitely talk again and uh, you know discuss more more topics and uh, you know what you're doing and and just to uh, keep up all the good work. It's really uh, really impressive. I think that uh, people like you are in. Uh, you know, do, doing things like that. Um, yeah, so. well, we kind of have to because, you know, mm -hmm. Molly Marshall is depending on, on us. That's right. Little That's Molly right. Marshall is depending on us to, to be visible so that she can, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, representation matters. And thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it was a great conversation, and um, we will be in touch. All right, take care. All right, you too. Have a good night. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Our View podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Our View podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. New episodes will be released on the 15th and 30th of every month. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Our View for Life. That's O-U-R-V-I-E-W, the number four, L-I-F-E. Do you want to help change the tone of conversation among your family and friends? head over to our website for some Our View merchandise. Our website is www.our-view.com forward slash merchandise. I thank you for listening. Have a great day and take care.